Jeremiah 25, beginning at verse 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a ruin and an object of horror and scorn and cursing as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his attendants, his officials, and all his people, and all the foreign peoples there, all the kings of Uz, all the kings of the Philistines, those of Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the people left at Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all the kings of Tyre and Sidon, the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Tima, Buz, and all who are in the distant places, all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the foreign people who live in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, and Media, all the kings of the north, near and far, one after the other, all the kingdoms on the face of the earth, and after all of them, the king of Shishak will drink it too. Tell them then, this is what the Lord, God Almighty, the God of Israel says, drink, get drunk and vomit, and fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, you must drink it. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. And will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I am calling down a sword upon all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes, shout against all who live on the earth. The tumult will resound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. This is God's word. I invite you to bow with me in prayer. (coughs) Father in heaven, I pray that, that as we read your word, that you would guide us, that you would instruct us, that we would understand the the horrible truth of our sin, but also the wonderful grace of Jesus. Lord, for those of us that come with questions, with fears, with doubts, let us find truth and hope through your word proclaimed to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dan Rather, the longtime television newscaster, tells a story of his days back when he was starting out in radio. He worked for a a small local station, 250 watts of, of power. And he was in the middle of a long shift, and he decided that, that one way he could, he could grab a bite to eat in the middle of the shift was to get this 30-minute pre-recorded news segment started to place the needle on the, the record and then sneak out of the studio and, and grab a bite to eat at the local diner. He realized he was in trouble when the... The, the owner at the, the diner said, Dan, the phone call is for you. And it was the owner of the radio station who asked him, are you listening to the broadcast? Now remember, this is the, the broadcast of the radio station he's supposed to be sitting in the studio overseeing. And it's not just anybody, but it's the owner's brother who is on the recording in this small town. And this is what is playing on the radio station. Go to hell. 
go to hell, go to hell, go to hell, over and over again. The record had skipped. Now, that message doesn't play well anywhere, and certainly not in the small town Texas where this radio station owner's brother was left on a horrible loop of one little phrase. And yet, in a much more serious way, that, that is really the message that Jeremiah is bringing. Over and over again, Jeremiah is sent by God to proclaim a message of judgment. And not in a casual or trivial way, but in a real way. Telling people that if, if you don't turn to God, then you will go to hell. If you do not repent, then you will go to hell. That's the message that Jeremiah sent. And, and here in our chapter, it's a message now that, that's not just limited to the people of God in Jerusalem or Judah. It's a message that Jeremiah will have to repeat again and again to Egypt and to the Philistines and to the Babylonians. To all the nations of the earth, Jeremiah will have to say, unless you turn to God, you will go to hell. In a real and powerful way, it's the message that's on repeat in the book of Jeremiah. A message doesn't play well. It didn't play well in Jeremiah's time. It doesn't play well today. We do not like to hear that kind of message. We're much more comfortable if, if Jeremiah would just point his finger at other people and tell them what's wrong with them. But, but when God's Word points out that everyone, everywhere, every person on the face of the earth, every kingdom falls under God's judgment, then then we resist. But God gives us in this passage, he, he gives Jeremiah the symbolic action of, of take this cup, this cup of God's wrath, and make the nations drink it. That, that imagery of, of a cup of wrath, the, the cup of what God has apportioned for different people, is one that's found in, in numerous places in the Old Testament. You, you heard it in our call to worship even this morning. The psalmist in Psalm 75 describes for us God, the God who judges. We read, it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. God holds in his hand a cup of judgment. A cup that each nation will be forced to drink, each person will be forced to drink. <coughs> and you and I, you and I want to turn from a passage like this, and we want to let this cup pass us by. Let somebody else have, have this drink. But you and I are sinners, like the, the people of, of Jerusalem and Judah. You and I have heard at times, some of us, we've heard the message and yet we've rejected it. And so every one of us, falls under the judgment. And, and you, we see that in this catalog of, this geographic catalog, this geopolitical uh, exercise, what, what, one, what one commentator calls the, the Olympics of divine judgment. Every nation gets paraded out and judged. We, we see it in, it begins in verse 18, that God brings judgment against Jerusalem, against the towns of Judah. These are the people of God, the people who are meant to hear the, the promises of God and, and respond by repenting, by turning to Him, and yet they've rebelled against God. 
And then we, we walk through this list. Some of the, the places on here are familiar to us. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and, and all those who live in his land. They will fall under God's judgment. We, having read the Old Testament, are, are familiar with some of the names of the, the Philistines and Edom, Moab the, and Ammon. Tyre inside, but, but some of the names on this list are kingdoms so small they've been lost to history. We don't know where they were, where Zimri was. But what, what Jeremiah is doing is he's giving us this, this broad picture that every nation falls under judgment. Begins with, with Pharaoh in the, in the south, and he, and, he, and he rises and takes us, and look, and look at verse 26, where he tells us that after all of them, the king of Shishak will drink it. Now, if I pulled out a map and made you point to Shishak, you would have difficulty without the help of the little footnote, perhaps, that your Bible has there, which tells us that, that Shishak is a cryptogram for Babylon. What, what, what Jeremiah has done is he's, he's, he's traded the first letter of the alphabet for the last letter. So it's as if he took a, an A and it becomes a Z, a B becomes a Y, and, and so on. And, and from Babel, you now call it Shishak. Perhaps because of he's, he's trying to speak cryptically, but, but everyone understood. Because this is actually when, when that big question, who will end up taking over this political vacuum that, that has been created with the fall of the Assyrian Empire? Will it be Egypt in the south or will it be Babylon in the north? Well, that's actually taking place in the year that Jeremiah is offering this prophecy. Look back at the beginning of the chapter, Jeremiah 25 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which he also translates for us, was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This is the year in which Nebuchadnezzar will gain victory over Egypt. Egypt will lose decisively, and now Babylon will be the great world power, and Babylon will sweep from the north and ultimately bring destruction on all of these nations that are listed. But you notice how comprehensive it is. No one will escape God's judgment. There is no nation that, that can say, no, I don't want that cup of wrath. I won't drink of it. Because even, even God's people, the people of Ju Judah and Jerusalem, they will be forced to drink this cup. They can't presume upon the, the fact that, well, historically we, we belong to you. We're part of the, the covenant people. No, they've turned and they've rebelled against God. Or, or even... Even Babylon, Shishak, will be forced to drink. They can't rely on their, their political or military might. There is no one who will escape. The horror of this means that, that God's wrath comes against everyone. Everyone who will not turn and repent. The bitter cup of God's wrath has been mixed for every sinner. Now, we would prefer to find some sort of neutral ground. This seems to be, be too black of a line. Either you repent or you are judged. I'd like to not make a choice. I'd like to, to stake out a neutral territory. And initially, that's, that would be my preferred position. Can I find a place where I don't have to be served this cup of wrath? Can I sit at the table in the corner and everybody else gets the cup of wrath and I get to go on my own, my own way. And, and we think that way culturally. We think that, well, that's fine if, if this idea of a God who judges sin, if that works for you, that's fine. But, but that just doesn't work for me. And we live in a culture where, where, where the, 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 the main truth claim that we make 
is, well, that's true for you, but, but that's not true for me. But you see, God will not let us try and claim some, some false neutral territory. I mean, there, there is no Switzerland here. You are, you are in, a, in If you are in Poland as, as the Nazis roll through, there's no claims of neutrality that can be made. If you're already on the battlefield, then, and, and the, that's the battlefield you and I live in, the battlefield of, of sin and death and horror and rebellion against God, then there is no claim of neutrality. And, and what, does, what does God say? Look at verse 28. He tells Jeremiah, if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink it, this is what you need to tell them. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You must drink it. There is no neutral position. God stands and declares that everyone falls under his judgment. And actually, when we we stop and and consider that, that claim that, well, that's true for you but not true for me, that initially appears to be a neutral position, but it is not neutral at all. Because really what you end up saying when you're trying to stake out this neutral position of, you know, you believe what you want, I believe what I want, everybody's fine, we all believe our own things, you're actually not making a neutral claim. You're making an overarching claim that that truth is relative. You're saying, my claim is is the claim that, that, that supersedes your claim. My claim is, and, and do you see that that, that it's true for you but not for me ends up not being neutral at all? You're actually making a claim about, about fundamental reality. The problem is there's only one person who, who could make that kind of claim. It's the Lord Almighty who steps in to say what is really true. So you and I need to be honest with ourselves, honest that there is really no morally neutral position to take. You either are rebelling against the God of the universe or you have turned to him in faith. We also need to be honest that, that we ourselves fall under God's judgment. It's a judgment that verse 27 tells us will, will come with the, the sword that God will send. God will send Nebuchadnezzar with his armies to bring judgment. We see a description of God's judgment yeah, given to us poetically in verses 30 and 31. In verse 30, the God is, is described like a lion who will roar from on a high. He's called a lion at the end of the chapter, verse 38. He, he brings judgment and death. He is to be feared. Or in verse 31, God himself will bring charges against the nations. He is, he is the lion who brings a lawsuit because you are guilty in his court. We fall under God's judgment. So there is no neutral ground. There is no safe place we can stand on our own. We, we can't claim some sort of, of religious, r- religious perspective that says, well, well, but I've done all these things for you, God. Jerusalem will fall under judgment. We can't claim any kind of, of power or might or wrath and say, say, say we, we can step away from your, we're, we're strong enough to deal with this. No, even Babylon will fall under God's judgment. You and I fall under God's judgment. And so our only hope is that God himself will deal with this cup of wrath. And actually, one of the, one of the, the, the places that we find this image used in, in, the, in the Old Testament is Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah tells the people, he says in Jeremiah 51, 51 
verse 17. Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. So Jeremiah is using this familiar image, the same image that, or Isaiah is using the same image that Jeremiah uses. And then in verse 22, we get a a glimmer of hope. Isaiah 51, 22, this is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. See, our only hope is that when, when we are holding this, this cup of wrath, is that God steps in to deal with the problem, if the God takes this cup from us. And you see, that's, that's what God does for us in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the one. God takes the cup of wrath from us and hands it to Jesus. The, someone will drink this cup all the way to the very dregs at the bottom. Either you will drink and experience God's wrath, or Jesus has done it for you. Turn with me in your Bibles. I, I mentioned that we'll spend a, perhaps more time than, you, than we've done in, in previous weeks looking at the New Testament explanation of this cup of wrath, this New Testament explanation of what, what Jeremiah is, is, is pointing for. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew is the first of the books of the New Testament, the first of our four gospel accounts the descriptions of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in Matthew 26, we're with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane it's after he has celebrated his last supper with his disciples. He's now at the moment at which he will be betrayed, the moment at which Jesus picks up the cup of God's wrath. Matthew chapter 26, I'll begin reading at verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Do you hear Jesus' description? Of his condition, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus falls to the ground and he he prays, Father, take the cup from me. He He's capturing the language of of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Psalm 75 and the other places in the the Old Testament where this image of of God's wrath is pictured for us in a cup. And Jesus prays, God, take this cup from me if it's possible. Jesus' description of of being overwhelmed with sorrow is is now... Jesus knows this is where the, the, the gospel is taking us, that it is taking us to the cross. But it's here that Jesus has, has rounded the corner to begin to see what, what this will fully and really mean, where Jesus, as, as God-made man, understands what this experience will cost him. I mean, it's as if you, unexpectedly, driving your, through your ordinary routine, come upon a, a tragic accident, flashing lights, 
You're close enough to, to the action to, to see what's taking place. And when you, when you get out of your car to, to observe, you realize that the, the person in the, in the accident who's been horribly mangled is, is someone you love. Just walking through the, the routine, you're, you're surprised by the horror of what you now see. I mean, your experience would be one of, 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 of nausea, of, of this, this cloud of, of fear and overwhelming, like, like being punched in the gut. You would stumble back. Jesus knows he's going to the cross, but now he turns the corner and is surprised by the horror of what this cup will mean. And so he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But his prayer, wonderfully for us, continues. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Matthew continues for us in verse 40. Matthew 26, 40. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. That slight change of prayer is profound. His first prayer was, If it is possible, take the cup. Now his prayer, If it is not possible, may your will be done. Because there is no other way for our sin to be paid for than for God himself to deal with it. God's wrath, God's holy, righteous judgment must fall against sin. God cannot ignore what has gone wrong in the world or God would would prove that he doesn't love us. I mean, God's wrath is a picture for us of God's love, of his care, of his protection of us. And so it's here that God the Son prays If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Luke, who in his gospel gives us a a glimpse of, of the horror of what's taking place here. While Jesus prays, we're, we're told what happens next in Luke 22, verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, the Son of God, is taking the cup of God's wrath. He will go to the cross, looking at the the horror of the abyss that's created by your sin and mine, the hell that you and I deserve. It's not simply the physical torture that Jesus experiences. It's the spiritual reality that the God who is his father, who is the God of all goodness and light and love, will turn from him in judgment and pour out wrath on him. And Jesus stares into that abyss of horror and drinks the cup for us. John tells us in his gospel that that Jesus, wanting to fulfill all the prophecies of Scripture, He asked, he said that he was thirsty. Listen to to what John tells us in John 19, verses 28 and following. 
Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, sour wine. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus symbolically drinking this cup of God's wrath while really and fully dealing with your punishment that you deserve for sin, this is what Jesus said. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Our only hope is that Jesus died in our place, that he drinks this cup. So if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day for you to to turn from sin and, and trust in Jesus, that God's wrath finds the full and complete punishment in Jesus' death on the cross. You can escape the judgment by turning and putting your trust in God, the one who provides for you. For you, for those of us who are Christians, this should, this should be an encouragement to us, but also it, it, should, it should be a serious warning to us. There is no neutral ground left. I have friends, I have neighbors who need to hear this gospel, who are in the the path of God's judgment, who hold in their hands a cup of wrath. And the only solution for them is for for them to to let Jesus take that cup for them by turning to Jesus in faith. It It should propel us forward as a church with boldness to make the gospel known. The lack of neutral ground means that that we are in the midst of a real spiritual battle we have the good news. Jesus, the Son of God, as he turns the corner, willingly walks to the cross. He prays in the garden. He willingly takes the cup of God's wrath. And so if you have put your trust in Christ, the cup is now empty. The cup of God's wrath is already emptied. Jesus drank it for you. And so Jesus can say to his disciples in the, in the Last Supper, Take now the the cup of the new covenant, the cup of blessing from me. Wait for that day when you and I will celebrate in, in my Father's kingdom again. You and I are not destroyed in judgment because Jesus took the cup. Judgment has already fallen on him. Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath. I invite you to bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, when your word is held up to our lives, we we resist your inspection of our hearts. We want to turn from the the truth that we are sinners in rebellion against you, but Lord, I pray that you would not let us out from under the, the thumb of your judgment today, that we would see what is true about who we are. Lord, for those who are here who wrestle in their hearts, wrestle in their minds with with the question of whether or not this could really be true, whether or not the story, the true history of what you have done for us in Jesus is real. Lord, give them the faith to believe, even now. Even now as we pray, Lord, bring about this transforming work of grace by helping them to turn to you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen those of us who have found our hope in Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim the gospel. Let us live in hope, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. 
Lord, use us as a church to make this good news known among the nations, the nations who stand in the path of your wrath, all the peoples of the earth. Lord, make us a blessing to your world as we expand the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus, our Savior, who sacrificed himself for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.